Sorry if we um, confused people last week. Um, it just we were all not around. Yeah. So it worked. Um, we're excited. We're really excited. Uh, we're going to do a series on 1 Corinthians 13, um, the love <laughs> chapter. All right. How many married couples had that read at their at their wedding? Not the whole thing. Not the whole thing. I think this is that only read like two verses. Okay. And that's the thing, even non churchy people tend to have First Corinthians thirteen read. Well his dad was a reverend. Okay. Okay. That'll do it. Yeah. And he kinda told me that, you know, you need to have God in your your marriage because I kept doing like all these different things. I wanted a, a Irish prayer. But it wasn't like a prayer, it was a poem. Okay. And then I had like all these other little traditions because I always wanted like a certain type of wedding and I don't know what I was really going for. And then he's like, well, if I'm going to marry you guys, you have to have the Lord in there. Otherwise, I don't fit. And I'm like, I never thought of that. Okay. (laughs) And he thought I was going to be resistant. Okay. And yeah. So So it's been over the years, him, little bits and pieces of referring to the Lord that kept it alive and then yeah where it was comfortable for me to come to church. Amen. 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 His persistent paid off. Yeah, and it was just little bits and pieces. It wasn't forceful, which was amazing because so I guess I learned that from him. Awesome. 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 Well I you know when you think about First Corinthians, if if you've read through the New Testament, read through First Corinthians I mean, Paul is kind of nailing the church. Left and right. It's almost like, you know, uh, Paul, you've mentioned a couple times that it feels like you're getting hit across the head with a two-by-four when you talk to us. That's what Paul was doing in this letter. He's, he's looking at the Corinthian church. He's a, taking aim. He's whopping them one side and the other. And the issue was, at that time, which was about 56, 57 A.D., The Corinthian church, the church, was running rampant with two primary things. Paganism, which included the misuse or abuse of spiritual gifts, and sexual immorality. It was was running rampant with those two things. So when we think about that, and when we think about the context of what Paul was talking about, bringing correction to the church, and then smack dab in chapter 13 he says... Okay, we're going to take a time out. And we're going to talk about love. It just almost seems out of place. Like it would have been better fit in Ephesians or some other book. But what is really interesting is Paul was discussing the spiritual gifts in chapter 12 and 14. So we have 12 and then we have 14. But smack dab in the middle, he takes an interruption and he says, you know what? I need to clarify what's even more important in spiritual gifts. And that's love. And what love looks like. Because we truly... Um, it's, it's difficult because how many for so long have equated love as a feeling? I mean, yeah, I did We're going to talk time. about that later. But what Paul shows us is that it's not. Um, what'd you go do that for? Okay. What, 
what we're going to do is who we're going to actually read um, four different um, versions of First Corinthians 13. So who likes to read? Who else would like to read? Okay, thank you. Anyone else? Thanks, Luke. Anyone else? Thanks, Jackie. Which one did we? Oh, maybe I'll read the last. Is Hawaiian Vision one of them? No. Thought about it. Oh, loved it. Oh, wait a second. Now I'm thinking, no. No. We may bring it in, but not. Okay, so up at the top, it tells you it tells you what translation. And this is the reason why we've got the different translations. Um, God's word is God's word. And I don't know if any of us are fluent in Aramaic or ancient Hebrew. Oh, I am. And in addition to being fluent in Aramaic and ancient Hebrew, is also well grounded in the um, cultural customs of the time that it was written. So if we have any of those experts, please come up and teach the class. Okay? But I am not one of them. I'm going to put that out there. So one of the best ways for me to learn is to actually read scripture in different versions. Um, Because sometimes just the different formats, the different words that are used, give me a different understanding. Um, The different versions are, um, prayerfully, I mean, so far the ones that I've studied up on, are put together by people that are much more learned within, with regards to the ancient Aramaic and the Hebrew and and the customs and stuff like that. So that's that's why I like to read the different versions, and that's one of the reasons why we're reading the different mm-hmm. versions today. So, um, do I want to start? No, we'll start with Renee. We'll go in the order you handed. Okay. Over. The message translation: The way of love. I speak with human eloquence. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So, no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for itself. For itself, Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swell head, doesn't force itself on others. It's always me first, isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of sins of others, doesn't reveal when others grovel, grovel. takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, Puts up everything, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Inspired speech will be over some inspired speech will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limit. We know only a portion of the truth, and what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incompletes will be canceled. When I was an infant at my mother's breast, I 
gurgled and cooed like any infant. When I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. We don't, we don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it in all then, we'll see it all then. See it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. But for right now, until the, till that completeness, the completeness, we have three things to do to lead us to, towards that consumption. Consummation. Consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unanswerably, love extravagantly, and the best of three is love. Thank you, Renee. Thank you. Who's the next one? Okay. Uh, new international version. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am not only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not pride. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, but now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Thank you. Thank you. You can hear the differences even between the rusty gate and the clanging cymbal. Lee? Right. Oh. Lee? Um, amplified. <clears throat> the excellence of love. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love for others growing out of God's love for me, then I have become only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, just an annoying distraction. And if I have the gift of prophecy and speak a new message from God to the people and understand all mysteries and possess all knowledge, and if I have all sufficient faith so that I can remove mountains but do not have love reaching out to others, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it does me no good at all. Love endures with patience and serenity. Love is kind and thoughtful, and is not jealous or envious. Love does not brag and is not proud or arrogant. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking. 
It is not provoked nor overly sensitive and easily angered. It does not take into account a wrong endured. It does not rejoice at injustice, but rejoices with the truth when right and truth prevail. Love bears all things regardless of what comes, believes all things looking for the best in each one, hopes all things remaining steadfast during difficult times, endures all things without weakening. Love never fails, it never fades nor ends. But as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for the gift of special knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, for our knowledge is fragmentary and incomplete. But when that which is complete and perfect comes, that which is incomplete and partial will pass away. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now, in this time of imperfection, we see in a mirror dimly a blurred reflection, a riddle, an enigma. But then, when the time of perfection comes, we will see reality face to face. Now I know in part, just in fragments, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known by God. And now there remain faith, abiding trust in God and his promises, hope, confident expectation of eternal salvation, love, unselfish love for others growing out of God's love for me. These three, the choicest graces, but the greatest of these is love. Thank you. Jackie? I have the Tree of Life version. Um, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, it is nothing. If I give away all that I own, and if I hand over my body so I might boast, but have not love, I do nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not brag. It is not puffed up, it does not behave inappropriately. It does not seek its own way, it is not provoked. It keeps no account of wrong. It does not rejoice over injustice, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will pass away. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully even as I have been fully known. But now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Thank you. And I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. And it says, Love, the motivation of our lives. If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels, yet I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. 
And if I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains, but had never learned to love, then I am nothing. And if I were to be so generous as to give away everything I own to feed the poor and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr, without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessings come to someone else. Love does not brag about one, one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love's, love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best of others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. It extends beyond the gift of prophecy, which eventually fades away. It's more enduring than tongues, which will one day fall silent. Love remains long after words of knowledge are forgotten. Our present knowledge and our prophecies are but partial, but when love's perfection arise, the partial will fade away. When I was a child, I spoke about childish matters, for I saw things like a child and reasoned like a child. But the day came when I matured, and I set aside my childish ways. For now we see a faint reflection of riddles and mysteries as though reflected in a mirror. But one day we will see face to face. My understanding is incomplete now, but one day I will understand everything, just as everything about me has been fully understood. So until then, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, yet love surpasses them all. So above all else, let love be the beautiful prize for which you run. So we've heard five different versions of the same text. What's your thinking? What stuck out? What brought conviction? We love because he loved us first. Right. And if we don't have faith in that, if we don't recognize that, then love would not be possible. Because love apart from God is something we're going to be talking about, but is incomplete. So faith gives us the ability to have love because mm -hmm. he loved us. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, it's, but it's, it's. And it could be that he just put them in alphabetical order. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of like saying which which part of the egg makes the egg? The chicken. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's okay. But but you know what? Actually, that's a really good analogy. Okay? Well played, Sarah. Faith, well hope, played. and love. All right, faith, hope, and love are all part of the all part of the egg. Okay, and maybe if we're using this as a bad analogy, all right, you're right. The chicken is. 
in this case, God is the chicken, okay? He's the producer of it all, okay? Faith may be the outside shell, and and hope may be the inner membrane, and love is the, the egg and the yolk, the white and the yolk, you know? So, I mean, you can't separate them out, and you can't say one is is the egg and something is not. Yeah. It's all part. I mean, they're all intertwined like spaghetti. They're intertwined like spaghetti. <laughs> and you can relate to that. <laughs> we learned about that. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's fine. love is the foundation that's on the bottom. It's a foundation. Supports them all. Yeah. Um, and then it never fails. Yeah. It never fails. It never fails. Uh, one of the things that I found interesting was uh, the title that the passion actually put on this love, the motivation of our lives. Mm-hmm. What motivates me? Mm-hmm. On a daily basis, what motivates me? I'll be honest. It's my paycheck when I get up to work. (laughs) And that's why I go to work a lot of times, is for that paycheck. You know? I mean, I love love my job, but... You love your paycheck more? (laughs) My paycheck gives me that extra motivation. It it gives me the extra motivation. You love your job? (laughs) No, no, because I... I, Well, because... Who who loves skiing? Love what? Skiing. Who loves the Warriors? Me. See? I like the Warriors. Okay, who loves your kids? Me, 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 me. Okay, who loves your spouse? Don't answer that. <laughs> that can be a dangerous That can be a dangerous Okay? <laughs> We're teasing. We're teasing, all right? So when we talk about the word love, all right, we're talking about love never failing, all right? But actually, to bring it back to marriages, well, I just don't love you anymore. Right? So obviously, what type of love are we talking about? And what is the difference between love of the general population and general understanding and the love that 1 Corinthians 13 talks of? And, and basically, basically, it settles down to two types of love. All right? Either a love centered on the one who loves... Okay. I love skiing, which I don't, but okay. I love chocolate cake, all right, because I love the taste. It makes me feel good, all right. I like the taste. I like the texture, all right. So it, it, it's, a, it's a centered on, on me and my response to something. The other is a love that centers on the one who is loved. All right. Now think about that. So when Jean was given that example for a marriage relationship where the husband or the wife says, I just don't love you anymore, the rough translation of that is you're just not doing it for me anymore. That's what's going on. Because that entire love concept, or most of it, was centered on what you can do for me, how you can fulfill me, as opposed to how I can love you and focused on the other person. It's very self-centered. And believe it or not, that's not something that we have a choice over. We kind of automatically respond. 
All right, you either do it for me or you don't. This chocolate cake is good or it's not. All right, I, 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 I'm, there's so much going on physiologically. Huh? You're making me hungry for some chocolate cake now. <laughs> there's good, there's good bagels over there. <laughs> okay, but it's, it's kind of like, you know, I love it or I don't, or I'm not in the mood for it, all right? You know, sometimes I do love chocolate cake, but sometimes I'm just not in the mood for it, all right? But that, again, is centered around me and my response to this external stimuli. And, and what ends up happening is if it is about us, it's very difficult for us to love another person that has imperfections or flaws or is annoying. It's very difficult for us to actually love that person because it's about us. So that's a good self-check. That's a really good self-check. Is this love about me or is it about someone else? And if we have trouble living with their imperfections or loving them through their imperfections, then I, we would suggest that the love that you're looking at is more about you as opposed to the other person. And that's a hard reality check. Okay. So the other type of love is that selfless love that lies in appreciating the goodness of the other, regardless of how they make us feel. Okay. So that means your neighbor who is consistently throwing garbage over on your property, all right, or throwing parties until, you know, all hours of the night. Um, and I'm just coming up with weird examples, all right. Are they good? You know, are they good? Someone that curses and screams and yells and does drugs and throws, are they good? Okay, I kind of heard you. What'd you say? I said for someone else. For someone else? Okay. Wow. Okay. And. Um, oh my gosh, Renee. Renee, I knew it began. I wanted to call you Roxy. You're not Roxy. I can't believe it. I'm sorry, Renee. You said they're good enough for God. I mean, yeah, they're good enough for God. They're good. Yeah, they are in God's eyes. Yeah. Okay. That's how we should see them. That's how we should see them. But do we, especially when we're in the middle of dealing with their imperfections? Jackie. That's actually one thing because you have so many churches who are like, you know, with their signs, God hates gays and all that stuff, or God hates sinners. It's like, well, Jesus hung out with those people, so what makes us better than Jesus? Mm-hmm. What makes us better than him? Leave it to my daughter to bring in the church. <laughs> I do have a question, though, because... Yeah. You can have love for your neighbor in the aspect of if they're trash cans at the curb, you bring it up. Or, because I made my son do that the other day for neighbor. Um, <laughs> or you can have love for your neighbor when you know that they're going through an illness and you bring them dinner. You can have love for them in that way, knowing they have all their flaws. You can have love for them where when their kids are outside, you watch over their kids to make sure they don't get hit by the speaking clock. But I don't have to be in a relationship with them. So in a relationship with that person, no, I, I can't open myself up to that because their flaws are not something I can cope with individually. But I can have love for them on a, an arm length basis, I guess is a good way. I can have love for their family. I can have love for what they do 
they are good people. Sarah, I got a really, really powerful question for you, okay? <laughs> when we talk about Christ's love, right? First John 4, um, 4 8. John 4 8. First John 4 8? First John 4 8. It says God is love, okay? Is his love available for all people? Absolutely. Is he in relationship with all people? Absolutely, as long as they let him in. Uh, that's the key. He's not in, he is not in relationship with all people. Because it But shows. he is willing to be in relationship. He is open to relationship. Mm. He is open to relationship. And it's and and it's important. Yeah, it's it's getting a little hot here. It's getting a little warm in here. And we have to distinguish between love and acts of charity and goodness, because they're not necessarily the same. And this isn't a one and done series. Okay, it's not a one this, and done we're going to be exploring. It's not a one and, done series. and we're going to actually talk about different levels and different. Uh, ways in which we can show love to another person because the most complete love that we can demonstrate is husband and wife mm -hmm. so we're going to talk about that but there's other aspects because you can love your co-workers you can love your neighbors by doing various things so we're going to be talking about that but it is important to distinguish between acts of charity and love because there is a difference okay, okay even though charity i believe was used in one of the yeah. versions um, as the word for love yeah. Um, but in the original language, the word for love is actually called ahava, which we're going to discuss a little bit later. But I want to take a quick side note, and I brought this up um, in the earlier class. Um, and it just, this, this concept, when we came across it, just really kind of changed my mind. Um, pretend you're, or not pretend, you're out building something with someone, all right? And they drop a hammer, and it hits you in the foot, okay? What's your response? Okay. Okay. I mean, for, for, for some of us, it might just be, you know, ugh, you know, and we get on with the day. For others, it might be, why did you do that? I can't believe you were so careless. Okay. And, and, and the ranting and the raving. All right. Um, now, change the scenario. You're building something by yourself. The hammer slips from your hand and it hits your foot. What's your response? Do you start yelling at your hand? Do you slap your hand for dropping the... Moron! Okay. <laughs> Not in public. <laughs> right? Well, um, it was actually kind of funny because um, where, where we got this from, um, the person said, okay, if you're going to actually start slapping yourself, then you need professional help, <laughs> okay, in that circumstance. So, I don't know, Roman. Anyway. Oh, there, there's plenty of us that would sit there and say, I am so stupid, or I am so clumsy, or I am so, uh, you know, words of death over ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. You know, I actually, sh she shared that in the previous class we were in, and I, I, I made the comment that I was redoing my kid's bedroom, and so I was using the hammer and the nails, and I was on the kid's bunk bed, and I set the hammer down, but I didn't set it this way. I set it this way, so of course, gravity took over, and the claw hit me on my ankle. 
my kids are in the room and I have the tear running down my eye and my kids are laughing at me. So of course I laugh at myself because why did I just do that to myself? And you can't get mad at it if you're laughing. You know, it's really hard to have both emotions at the same time. And in our house, we turn everything to comedy in the first place. So it, it is really difficult to stay mad at yourself for very long. Because someone's going to come around and make fun of you. <laughs> and then you're going to laugh. <laughs> but, you know, it makes you get over it. But, yeah, that first gut instinct is to get mad at yourself for allowing that to happen. If my son had done it, I probably would have walked away and had a few choice words under my breath. And then came back to the room and continued on. And he probably wouldn't have put the hammer anywhere near me. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I don't know. Well, it's... It, it is hard because oftentimes uh, we won't yell at our hand. We may say something to ourselves. Uh -huh. And this is what I like because uh, the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you're going to start yelling at yourself and start being angry at yourself, that's showing a, a detrimental attitude toward yourself. It will be very difficult to love your neighbor any better. It's also a very self-centered perspective. Yes. You know, when, when we're, we're looking at ourselves and judging ourselves like that, we tend to judge others then the, same, same, the same way. Yeah. And there's other people that, you know, we're fine. You know, it was an accident. I didn't do it on purpose. But why do you, could you be such an idiot? You know, <laughs> is the way it is. But when we look at it, we have a, a solid base where we're basically okay, but you're the, you know, the problem. Um, we forget that we're all part of one body, okay? We forget that in this one body, he's part of my body. You're so, so if lucky. I, I am. <laughs> So if I drop the hammer on myself, okay, if he drops the hammer on me, it's like I drop the hammer on myself. How am I going to treat him? Am I going to start slapping myself? Am I going to, you know, verbally or what? So it's, it's a... Yeah, I mean, Scripture says Gene is like a, like a hand or like a hand in a body. And if... If I'm not going to yell at myself or yell at my own hand for doing something, why would I do that to Gene? We're all part of the same body. So why, why would we be going ahead and, and doing that? So what we want to talk about is Ahava. And it is the Hebrew word for love. And I know that the New Testament is written in Greek. But God spoke to his children in Hebrew. Hebrew is the biblical language. So we're going to look at the word Ahava. Can you spell that? Ahava. A no. A-H-A. A-H-A. No, no, wait, 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 wait. Are you ready? Alf, hey, bet, hey. A-H-A-V-A-H. I gave you, I gave you the, the Hebrew spelling. So in the beginning, we all know in the beginning, right? In the beginning, the giant scored nine runs. 
in the beginning, <laughs> then God fashioned the man dust from the soil and breathed his no- into his nostrils the breath of life so that man became a living being. Genesis 2.7. And ahava is actually the sound of breathing almost. Ha. So ah, you exhale. And then you inhale. Ha, right? And then va means to come in Hebrew. So the first syllable is an exhale. The second syllable is an inhale. And va means to come. We love each other because he first loved us. But think of this. God exhaled. Man inhaled. And love came. God exhaled. Man inhaled. Love came. What was first? God exhaled. Our response, we inhale. Love came. God can exhale all we want. If we're not inhaling, true love is not coming. We have to take him in. Now I want you to imagine something. And this is going to get... Okay, there's nobody younger than 18 here. You're 18? Okay. It's legal. (laughs) Can you imagine a love so great that in the very same garden where man disobeyed God? This is a garden that God created. This is... Think of it as the marriage bed that God created for his relationship with Adam and Eve. And in that very same marriage bed where Adam and Eve cheated on God. Betrayed God. Betrayed God. God came down into that very same marriage bed and he looked at Adam and Eve and he In front of them, he spoke the covenant promise that despite what was done here, I am not breaking my covenant with you, and I am going to send my son as payment for all this. Can you imagine a love that great? And that love is expressed in the word Ahava. It has four Hebrew letters. I brought a picture. (laughs) Okay, we don't have our board, so I brought a picture. And the four letters are Alf, Hey, Bet, and Hey. Okay, so this would be Alf, Hey, Bet, Hey. And the meaning of Hey and Bet is to give. Alf is a modifier and it says to give. The word means I give and also I love. You can't separate them out. Okay? You know, again, going back, which part is the egg? Okay? You can't separate out. So if you're talking about love, if there's not a giving portion in there, that's not Christ's love. Okay, the, um, 
the process of that giving, by the way, and the giving can be physical, emotional, intellectual, all right, or, or some type of, or some type of combination. When you look at that, at work, we love, we share the intellectual, right? No? Yeah, or you guys all go to work and play dummies. <laughs> okay. So oftentimes at work we're sharing type of, some type of um, intellectual or maybe emotional. Um, hopefully we're not sharing a lot of physical love at work. Um, you know. Well, I mean, there are actually some, some professions and stuff like that. You know, if, if you're a nurse or a caregiver, you know, I mean, yeah. Sharing a physical love, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm a teacher. All right, and I don't do to all of my students, but there's certainly students that you know they want to come in even as high school students and give me a big hug and and that, and I'm going to reciprocate that. Um, yes, it's female students, not male students. You know, okay, I'm I'm appropriate with that, but that's you know um, that's a sign of physical. But when we look at a marriage relationship and we talk about love, it's really that combination of all three. You know, do you have an intellectual? emotional and physical connection you know if you don't it's harder to um, make that connection because love is connection giving helps sustain that connection think about think about the line that I'm certain many of us have had in our head the person I married, the person you are now isn't the person I married. You're completely different. Well, it's likely, it could be true. But I would challenge us that by saying our perspective is off. Our perspective is different. We're now looking through different glasses. Because when I was courting Jean, guess what? Was I giving or was I taking? I was giving. Have your glasses. Now that I'm married to Jean, I'm looking at her through different glasses. These are weird. <laughs> I'm going to take them off, but now that I made my point, I'm looking at her through different lenses. I'm looking at her through a lens of what can you do for me? And that's not going to sustain a relationship. Taking does not sustain relationships. That's why... There are business contracts. That's why there are business contracts. Because it defines the relationship because there is a mutual, essentially, selling or bartering or taking. This is a marriage covenant. It's not a contract. A covenant is never designed to be broken. That's why it's a covenant, not a contract. Because a contract is only good for as long as the terms are satisfying to both. That is not what a hava is. That's what a business relationship is. But not a hava. But it gets better, doesn't it? Alpha is actually the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. All right? It's seen as the father in the alphabet. And it represents the beginning from which all things were created. Okay. Again, it kind of goes back to God exhaled, we inhaled. 
And remember, when you're looking at the letters, read right to left. So when Aleph modifies to give, it also means to connect with the one you love. So when scripture refers to the word love, it actually says that Yahweh, God loved us that he gave us or connected with us. Through his son, Jesus said, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And when pure and true love is shared, a connection is made. But we can only connect with something if there is a way to connect through. Ahava is also the truth. Because Ahava love can't deny itself. Okay? It gives um, chai, and we're not talking about the tea. Okay? It's actually the word life in Hebrew. All right? Um, The literal meaning... Uh, is to cause to be, to be living, to be alive, to be full and complete of, and in existence in every element of being. All right, let me repeat that. Hava love cannot des- deny itself because it gives life. Kai in scripture means to be cause to be, to be living, to be alive, to be full and complete of, and in existence in every element of being. So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he was literally saying, I am the connection to the Father through love that causes all existence to be living. There is no other way to the Father except through me. Why did he say this? Because it took pure Ahava love, one without blemish, one not born of man from the flesh of men, but rather through and in spirit. Because by the Ruch, which is the Hebrew word for spirit, is by how we exist. And Ruch literally means to breathe or the very breath of God. God exhaled. We inhaled. Love came. You know, if we were to sum up this entire teaching in one line, it could probably be said that as Jesus breathed, he gave and he loved. And keep in mind that the word as means at the same time. So we can expand that. At the same time that Jesus breathed, He gave and he loved. Can the same be said for us? You're breathing right now. Are we loving? Are we giving? Breathing is a very natural part of who we are unless we're on life support or a ventilator. Breathing is a very natural part of who we are. Just oh, wait a second. Have any of you guys thought recently about are you breathing right now? I mean, how, I got to keep breathing. I mean, do you pay attention to how many breaths you take? I mean, unless maybe you're having an asthma attack or, or something like that. Because I, mean, I, I, do, I do deal with asthma, and, and I do pay attention to my breathing, especially at those times. 
But otherwise, breathing is not something that we intentionally do. Oh, I have to breathe today. I remember to put that on my list. All right. It's something that naturally emanates from us. It has to be intentionally stopped. Right? Intentionally stopped. Go ahead and hold your breath. <laughs> okay. It's going to force itself to come out. All right. Unless someone's holding a pillow over your head. All right. Which is not something we want. But can the same be said? with our giving or our love and, I and lo- you notice how we keep saying giving and love at the same time okay most of the time when we talk about giving it's empty your pockets right catch church <laughs> give me your money all right it's taking or whatnot but that's not what god says it's right. it's, it's it's a giving of ourselves it's laying down our life Serving. for one another right and and here's a how many suffer from asthma in this room? My wife does. Okay. You're very aware of a breathing issue when asthma strikes, right? When a symptom strikes. How come we are not as aware of that when our spouse is in pain and we're not aware of the lack of love or giving that we may be doing that is causing that? It's a symptom. Or our children, or our neighbors, or our parents. All those imperfections, all that shortness of temper, all of that is a symptom of the lack of love or giving generally in a relationship. We should be looking at it that way. And it's like, okay, giving and love might be in short supply here. Air might be in short supply when I'm having an asthma attack. I'm acutely aware of the need to breathe at that point. Why aren't we acutely aware of the need to love and give when there is stress in a relationship? What I love about your analogy to asthma is that it appears you have the capacity Mm -hmm. to take in the breath, right? Just as it would appear that in the relationship, everything that is needed is there. Mm-hmm. But there is that hidden thing. There is that yeah. thing that we can't see, that we're not in touch with, in terms of being the other person mm-hmm. that is going on, that we must go after. Right, you can see that you can't breathe. You can't see that someone else is suffering internally. And sometimes we think that the cause is all the same. Um, the asthma that I will deal with um, oftentimes comes across as atypical. It's more like a bronchial spasm. Mm. It, it, it will oftentimes be non-wheezing asthma. But I have coughed so hard that I strained my vocal cords. I've pulled muscles in my back. You know, I've gone into the emergency. It's like, I need something. It's like, oh, well, you don't, you know, we don't hear the wheezing, so you're fine. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm not fine, you know, until I get down to the yellow. And it's like, guys, I told you, I need something. All right, but I don't present with the typical, all right? So they don't understand, they don't believe me. One of the things that we're going to be working um, through this study is breaking down 
um, breaking down the section and how do we practically do this, right? Because that's what this class is about, all right? If we can't take scripture and put some type of practical thing, how do we make it work? Um, then we're breathing into a paper bag or a plastic bag, all right? You know, it, it, we really need to, to make sure that um, we know how to put it into practice so that it's useful. So we're going to be spending time breaking down these things. What does this look like? How do we actually put it into application? All right. But if we don't understand that love, God exhaled, we inhaled, love came. So as we're inhaling, are we letting love come? Are we getting caught up in the dirty, polluted air? So I'm glad we're not in the L.A. Basin because the air is up here is a little bit cleaner but the title of this series is as we breathe as we breathe are we being patient as as we breathe are we not being self-seeking there there were a lot of knots in those scriptures and we're going to try and define what the positive looks like okay if i tell roman hey don't be self-seeking that really doesn't help. There has to be a positive to that to pursue. It's very difficult to pursue or run away from a negative. It's easier to pursue a positive. So we're going to define what the positive looks like and how we can develop these characteristic traits. Yes, it's going to put us outside our comfort zone. But if you want more patience, guess what? You're going to have to put your yourself in a position where you're going to develop patience. Or, or you will be a patient. <laughs> because patience, patience can be bestowed upon God, but primarily patience is developed. And so we're going to teach you different strategies and different ways in which you can develop these different traits. Questions, comments, or snide remarks? Okay. Yes, ma'am. He, he mentioned not uh, having to be self-serving. But couldn't pretty much everything be considered self-serving. You're giving so that you can get a pat on the back for giving. You're helping someone so that you feel good about yourself. So that would be and and the the first part and I also know that people do give because it helps them feel good about themselves. The first part about that was addressed in one of these versions. If I do this for any other reason other than pure godly love it is it, it it the translation can be it as if I never did it. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. It does not traffic in shame and disrespect. Um, Basically, it's a noisy gong. It's a clanging symbol. Because if we're giving for any other reason, and I like one of the, it was an annoyance. One of the versions said it was an annoying clanging symbol. Yeah. An annoying distraction. Yeah, an yeah. annoying distraction. But if we give for any other reason, and I'm not saying that there is, it is 100% pure. Gene has challenged me on this. Nobody has 100% pure motives. It's not 100% pure. Nothing ever really is. But it's a, it's a magnet. It's an order of the heart. I give simply to give without expecting anything in return. And if we can genuinely say that, I give for the sake of Christ without expecting anything in return. That is the motivation 
that God is looking for. Now, on that, would be, okay, so for me, when I do give my time, or I give whatever, usually it's my time, I feel better. I feel good. There's nothing wrong with feeling better. Okay. There's nothing wrong, and, and I'm not measuring your heart just because you feel better. Because you love to give time. Yes. And so it's like a person who loves skiing or loves chocolate cake. When you feed yourself chocolate cake, when you feed yourself skiing, or when you feed yourself sacrificing time for others, it causes you to feel good. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay. But there's a difference between intentionally intentionally pursuing that so that you can feel good yeah. no, I know. versus people that I actually know that volunteer their time in the effort of putting off this perception of how good they are sure. so they can get something in return sure. where for me I like to I'm more of a hospitality type of person I love to put it together a room and tear it down the in between I'm not so good at <laughs> but that's what that's that's working in your giftings. Yeah, so I'm happy to give my time to help with that, yeah. but then in return I do feel good. And that's fine. And that has nothing to do with anybody else. That's just me. I feel good for doing The passion translation. The passion translation, love, the motivation of our lives. Okay. Love, the motivation of our lives. Not feeling good, getting accolades. Being busy, avoiding. So you described yourself giving an act of love and feeling good in return. That's I a natural you, byproduct. It's a natural byproduct. I mean, Christ didn't say, Christ said for the joy set before me, he suffered the cross. For the, what? The joy set before me, I got beat, hung on a cross, ridiculed, spat on. For the joy set before me. He knew the end result and that, so the labor and the sacrifice and the pain and the suffering brought him joy because he knew the result of that giving. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's you know, but he didn't do it because I'm a masochist and I really like to go and get, so I, all right, he, he, he's not that way. Okay, Don Marie, okay. you had something? <laughs> Um, you know, I'm hearing a lot of the. Then we got to stop. Sound, what it sounds like. Does it mean that that's what it sounds like to God when it's not truly love? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. I think it was your version. It's, uh, wasn't the rusted gate? Yeah. What did no the amplified version? What did it? Become only a noisy gong or a clanging symbol, just an annoying distraction. I didn't get the. Question. An annoying, an annoying distraction. That was yeah. Well, in, in fact, if you look in the Jesus talking about the the Pharisees, how they would pray out loud, and it was just it was just words, and it was like a and I can it's just a distraction, but they wanted to be heard, and Jesus drew that distinction. So Jesus Well, I'm grateful that Jesus doesn't get distracted by that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, for the sake of time. Um, Jeez, Dom. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
It's okay. It's That's good. a distraction. It's good. It's good. It's good. Um, any other quick questions? Or hopefully, y'all come back next week and. Um, and for the next several months. Well, not several months. <laughs> you never know. Several weeks. Several weeks. Several weeks. Um, Diane, um, Diane actually um, is here. Okay, I mentioned it at the beginning, but um, I talked about.